In this episode of What the Prophets Say, listen to Emma and Sam discuss the successful church which we don't want versus the victorious church which you really do want. Join us for What the Prophets Say. Welcome back to What the Prophets Say with me, Emma Stark. And once again, I am joined by the delight and joy that is Mr. Sam Robertson. How are you today, Sam Robertson? Good. I'm really excited for this conversation as well. Not that the other ones weren't amazing, they were, but particularly this is a subject that just I enjoy. Yes. It's meat. And what we've said in our last episode, looking at demons, is really refreshing and pulling down into our conversations that there are two kingdoms. And how much we forget that there are two kingdoms. The kingdom of darkness or the kingdoms of this world, that's one and the same thing. Because where does Satan live? He lives on the earth. On the earth. And the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Okay, so the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of this world. Now, that's a little bit shocking. Because we think Satan is up there in space, you know, floating around. That's just nonsense. Yes. So let's look at some scriptures. He's not in the clouds and he's not in hell. No. So let's look at Ezekiel. Where does the Bible say, Sam, this is like I'm testing you by Bible? Where is it? Where is it? Where does scripture say it's in Ezekiel? where Satan lives. Well, God casts him down to the earth. Yes. <laughs> and that's why we then find him where? In the earth, in the Garden of Eden. Yes. So, of course, the scriptures in Ezekiel talk about, I saw Satan fall, fall like, like lightning. lightning, and he comes to the earth, he inhabits the earth, he's actually given the earth to live in, yep. he's not given hell. Hell is not where Satan is. Hell is where he does not want to be. Hell, in, get- <laughs> hell in one sense is, if we can use the phrase, not yet open for business. Yes. Because hell is where he's cast for eternity. Yeah. It's his punishment as well. Hell punishes Satan. It's not his domain where he has a laugh and he thrives and it's he somehow manages to win with his own kingdom. He gets punished by hell when it's open, when the angels cast him into it. So Satan is on the earth. It's where he lives. He's prowling around, as the Bible tells yeah. us, like a devouring lion looking for those who will partner with yeah. him. He's building his kingdom at the same time that that God is building his kingdom. Yeah. The two kingdoms operating on the earth. And they both have armies. They both have strategies. And they are both wanting to, one is wanting to seduce that Satan's kingdom by domination yeah. and perversion. And the other is wanting to bring people into liberation. And so here we are in the middle of war, continually in the middle of war. <laughs> we wake up to a new one every day. Yes, yes. We, we live in a war zone until the end of time. Mm-hmm. And yet we're sniffy and funny about spiritual warfare. Totally. Because I think we love to create neutral middle ground. So actually, the concept that there's two kingdoms is deeply challenging, though it sounds simple. I think most would like to say that there's three. I think most would like to say there's the kingdom of God, there's the kingdom of Satan, 
and then there's the world, and that's the kind of neutral middle ground. There's the human kingdom. But actually, there are only two kingdoms, and you're either in one or the other. <laughs> yes. And th this is massive. The whole gospel of the kingdom, we really want to pull that apart in this episode and in the uh, yeah. future episodes. You see, let's look at Jesus in the temptation in the wilderness. Mm. You're in the early chapters of Luke's gospel. In fact, the gospel writers uh, uh, write about this a lot. And here is Jesus out in the wilderness and he meets Satan and Satan goes into tempting mode. And Satan says to Jesus, you know, I'm going to offer you the kingdoms of this world yeah. and their power and their beauty. Now, Satan is able to offer the kingdoms of this world because he owns them. Yeah, He's right. not just playing a game. He actually owns them. They are his. Mm. And so he's able to confer, Satan is able to confer authority and the glory of the kingdoms of this yeah. world onto Jesus. And Jesus doesn't want them because he doesn't want that sort of kingdom. He wants the kingdom of his God, yeah. not the kingdoms of this world. And so you see that Satan is seen in Scripture, therefore, as having some ownership over the kingdoms of mm. this world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and actually, I think that that even in itself is quite different, probably, to what many of us have been taught or yes. talked about. And it's not so much that we've been taught the opposite. I actually just think we've not really been taught on this area at all. Uh, yes. and, and this conversation is important because I think at the end of the day, if we bring it down to us personally, every decision we make, every choice we make will fall under one of those kingdoms. Yes. And that's why we've got to be acutely aware of what kingdom we're living in and what kingdom we're living for. See, here's my thought processes. I think the church is more in the kingdom of this world and of the kingdom of darkness than it is in the kingdom of God. Yes. I think the church is so wedded to some kingdom of darkness ideologies mm -hmm. <laughs> that sometimes the church barely represents God at all. Totally. And when we're talking about two kingdoms, we are talking about a level of change that's going to have to come to pull the church and the people of God out of partnership with the kingdom of this world and put them back to the kingdom of God exclusively. Totally. We're divided. Totally. And what, what does the kingdom of darkness rely on for change, structures, and, you know, and things like that? And I think how often in the church do we expect our structures, our traditions to save us, to yes. change us? Actually, how often do we think that our attendance saves and changes us and we have our dependency on structures whereas in the kingdom of God it's about by his spirit being transformed in our heart and formed then in our actions into the likeness of Christ and the likeness of Jesus and that is completely different now there is a place for good disciplines in that yes. but our dependency is not on structures to save us and our dependency is not on structures to change the world it's on the spirit of God at work in us and through us. Let, let's, let's push what is quite an inflammatory statement of the church is more in the kingdom of darkness than it is in the kingdom of God. Let, let's yeah. push why I say that, why we, yeah. you know, let's wrestle that thought out. In Psalm 24, 
the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Mm. Now, that literally means God owns everything. Totally. So when we jump into the New Testament and you're in Ephesians 2, and you're talking about Satan being the prince of the power of the air. Well, how do you hold those two scriptures in yeah. tension? Psalm 24, God owns everything. Ephesians 2, Satan is the prince of the power of the air. Well, well, what has Satan got then? Yeah. Now that word in the New Testament Greek for what Satan has is a word that means Satan has human government, human structure, man-made constitutions, man-made systems of government. In other words, anything that is structured and comes from a man's thinking is something that Satan has access and authority over. Totally. Anything that God hasn't created. I know we try to create. Yes, yes. Anything man-made, man-made thinking, man-made ideology, man-made governmental systems which is why samuel is saying in in the old testament you don't want a king you don't want a king oh people of god children of israel you don't want a king israelites you don't want a king because it's it's a man-made structure structure. it's a human structure so here we are looking at the failure of the church we're two thousand years in (laughs) do we look any more like jesus than we did two thousand years ago well, there's a question. You know, is Jesus really center? Are we the bride who is progressing to make herself ready? We've got to be honest enough to say, look, I don't want to defend something that doesn't work. Come on. I, I don't want to be bored all my days in church. <laughs> I don't want to, to defend something that is just a defense because it's traditional. Yeah, because I know it. <laughs> Yes. It's my experience. It's how I was raised. So I'm looking at concepts of, okay, have I got anything man-made in my family, in my business, in my church that Satan has rights to, therefore church hurts? And actually, how much do I need to change the structure of my family, the structure of my church, the structure of my business, because I accidentally have a kingdom of this world or a kingdom of darkness structure because it came from a man and not from God. Totally. And we've got to be honest and brave to confront that. Actually, we've got to be honest and brave to confront that. And this deeply challenges our love of traditions. And it deeply challenges, actually, I think, in in uh, uh, in our flawedness as humans, we love structures you know what we do? And Christians, we love denominations. We love where we think we get security from. And what you said really uh, just a few moments ago, Emma, really just struck a chord with me that we, we spend our life defending what actually is causing no change and carries no power. And how often do we do that? We defend structures that host well, really nothing. We defend uh, systems that, that, that aren't representing the kingdom of God. And we've got to be able to say, God, deal with my defensiveness over what you're not on and what you're not in and what you don't inhabit. Uh, look, guys, we're being very honest here and saying some very blunt and uncomfortable things. We are going to see the end of some denominations. Mm-hmm. We are witnessing the decline of some churches. And maybe it is not the problem we think it is. Come now, on. I don't want to be a fervent, you know, anti-institutional, <laughs> you know, rant. Yeah. 
person. But I do want to be able to say, if it's man-made, it's in the kingdom of, of this world yeah. and I don't want it. Yeah, yeah. And I think pushing that even further, there are some things that actually are God-breathed for a moment that were meant for a historic moment, a time that we also institutionalize and idolize, and then they become in the kingdoms of darkness. So in other words, what began as a revelation has now become a man-made methodology totally. Totally. because we never changed it. Absolutely. And we didn't go back to God and say, how do you yeah. want this to be structured yeah. now? And it was for a moment. It was right. It was for a moment. But actually we tried to keep it and, and keep it going where actually God wanted to change it. And it's like, you know, when um, God instructs Moses to make the snake for the Israelites as something that would protect them in, in 2 Kings um, 18. And they created the snake and, uh, and it was a good God idea, but it was only meant for a day. Yes. It was only meant as a visitation, but generations passed and what was meant for a moment, they started to worship and idolize. They institutionalized it and Moses then had to break it. Moses had to break it because it became a tradition. It became an idolatry. It became an institution. And God said, I'm not on that anymore. In other words, the church believes in magic. Yes. Because magic is doing the same, same thing. thing. Over, over and over and over. And expecting the same results time and time it, again. It, 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 magic is a formula. It is. And that means we're in greater partnership with witchcraft. Mm. Because we're, we've opened the door to witchcraft because of our fervent love of traditionalism and man-made structures and believing that, that if we keep doing the same thing and God says to us, actually, I want to be seen in a different way. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Come on. And actually, I think God likes it. To me, the, to me, the core of this is a church culture that is not dependent on God. Wow. And when you're not dependent on God for everything, you build according to your best man-made idea. Yeah. But when you live in the, in, the, in the river of God, the point of the Ezekiel River is I am out of my depth. <laughs> All of the time. All of the time. And he's moving me and he's changing yeah. me for how he wants to be seen in the earth today. Totally. And actually, you're always getting more out of your depth. It's not, I'm out of my depth to become an expert. It's not, I'm out of my depth till I've learned the way, till I know what to do. Yeah. But actually, in the Ezekiel River, I'm always out of my depth. God, I'm always caught up in your streams and your rivers. And actually, there's always a sense of, Yes, there are seasons where it's all changed like now, but there's always that sense of something's changing, something's moving, and we want to keep a pace with God. Look, we have to be really honest. Change is really difficult. It is. You know, and I sat, this is very personal, I sat last night, late last night, with my children, and we, um, uh, our landlord is selling our house, and um, we are moving house. Mm. And I sat with the children, um, and we're saying as a family, how do you feel about this? Yeah. How, how do you feel about a house move? And of course, you know my children. Yeah. You're, their, you're their Uncle Sam. Yeah. And you've known my children since they were tiny, tiny. Mm. And you watch in their personalities yeah. the different responses to the thought of change. Yeah. And so I've got my Samuel, who you know, he's like, yes, raving extrovert. <laughs> yeah, pioneer, pioneer something new, prophet. adventure. Yes, 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 I want change. Yeah. Well, my 15-year-old 
Oh, oh, is he? Yes, nearly 16. He keeps Almost telling 16. me. Almost 16. Peter, he's like, I, I just want to stay here. I like the way my room looks. I, well, yeah. this is, do yeah. you know, you're, you're quoting my, yeah, my son. That's but we're all, and so I actually said to them, boys, neither of you are wrong. Totally. Absolutely. And actually, Samuel, you'll like change in this moment. But actually, when you when it changes, you'll find it hard. Mm. Peter, you hate change in this moment, but actually you'll warm up to it. Totally. And this different temperament and personality type wrestling with change. And I find myself saying as their mummy, what I want to say to you as the listeners of the podcast, actually, if you embrace this as an adventure in God, you will be radically blessed. Come on. And actually, if you don't wash yourselves with the sense of, I want a new adventure in God, you will resist necessary change. Mm. And I'm sitting with my boys last night and my daughter's there too. And uh, she's like, I've already left home. It doesn't matter to me. And I'm like, (laughs) yes, it does. Don't you play the nonchalant card, you know, because that's another response to change. But in it all, I'm saying to them, God always upgrades. Come on. God always upgrades. Mm. So when he's saying, look, I need some things to change because I don't want to be bound in your man-made traditions or you repetitively doing magic because that's how I came yesterday. Yes. It is running through that. I don't want the kingdom of darkness. I don't want a man-made structure. And I want the upgrade Come on. that change brings. Mm. And this pushes what is, I think, well, I mean, it's the quote that you say to us as your leadership team and to your staff all the time that that, that is kind of ingrained, you know, if when I fall asleep, sometimes I can see it on my eyelids. <laughs> the kingdom of God is a limitless kingdom. Yes. And that is, I mean, that's an, an Emma, you, Emma Stark quote right there that you want to have memorized that actually the kingdom of God is a limitless kingdom. There's space. And I think we often assume it is change for the worse, yes. change for the bad, not change for the better, not change for the upgrade. Change is a downgrade, but the kingdom of God is a limitless kingdom and there's always more space. Yes, and I think we immediately jump to the defense of what we have already built. Yes. It's like a knee-jerk reaction in us, you know, and what I think that exposes is our hidden pride because we had a part in building that previous thing. And it was good. Yeah, and it looked yes. good, and it, it, so so we take pride in that. You know, it, it, it was sparkly, it, it glowed, it had a moment. There was success, quote unquote, and so we put our pride in that because actually there was, there's a sense of even look what I did. Yes, and the limitless kingdom of God. I mean, you're right. It so underpins our culture here, and I wanted yeah. to underpin you, you who are listening to this. I wanted to underpin your culture. The kingdom of God is limitless in its resources. Yes. <laughs> but also in its ability for you to fly high. Mm. That you don't hit a glass ceiling. Come on. That there's always greater glory. There's always more of God to host. Yeah. That actually sometimes you just need to be brave enough to change your structures. Come on. So let's look at that that scripture in Luke's gospel that says, who after tasting the new wine 
wants it because they always think the old wine is better. It tastes better, yeah. Yeah. And we want to say, God, no, 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 no. That, no, that doesn't apply to me. This scripture doesn't apply yeah. to me. I mean, how foolish. <laughs> yeah, totally. I like the new wine. I am what yeah. it tastes good to me. And God says, no. Yeah, I like it immediately. <laughs> no, you don't. Who after tasting the new wants it because they believe the old wine is better. Yeah. So what we say is, oh God, remember the history of Elam. Remember the history of... Pick a denomination, yeah. AOG. Remember the history of Methodism. Yeah. Remember the history of, let's pick an obsolete, Anabaptist. They yes. don't exist anymore. Remember the history of baptism, because I come from the Baptist yeah. denomination. We want to say, God, you did good things. Yeah. And he did. God, remember that, that you were right in the middle of the birthing of this movement. Yeah. So come and bless this movement again. And God just rolls his eyes and says, really? You want me to put new wine in an old wineskin structure that refuses to change? And you think that's going to go well? It's going to break you. It's going to burst the wineskin if he was to do that. So you can only have a dilute version of me. Why? Because you're so change resistant. Yeah. So there's a word. And, and I mean this, so you're crying for revival and God says, I can't put it in your church. I can't put it in a place that won't change. Yeah. And actually it's, it's not just God saying, I'm angry with you. It's a protection because new wine in an old wineskin bursts it, it breaks it. And God says, actually it's a protection because, because you couldn't handle it. Because you're, as you said, change resistant. And part of it is because the system is set up you know, with ego in the middle of it. And, you know, look, these are serious days. I mean, I did just bravely mention some denominational names right there. But can I tell you this, Sam, and you know it, because we're both um, students of church history. Totally. That all denominations since time began, and go and Google denominations that have ended, the list is eye-watering. Yep. All denominations from the beginning of the birth of the yeah. church eventually become nominal, mm. tepid, obsolete, yeah, and then obsolete. Yep, all of them do it. No matter how brilliant they were, no Absolutely. matter what of the power of God they hosted, no matter yes. how much of prayer they yes. stewarded. You think about the Moravians, Absolutely. awesome history. But it ended. I, you could weep. You could. I could weep because, I mean, talk to me about your upbringing and I'll share a little bit about mine. I grew up Irish Baptist. Yeah. I mean, I think if you cut me, I still bleed with Baptist thoughts. Totally. I mean, believer's baptism. (laughs) Yes. I mean, that's biblically, that'll never change. Totally. But... I loved that. It Mm. was a rich grinding in the word of God for me Mm. for 18, 19 years. Absolutely. And I want the Baptist church to experience a move of God. I mean, personally, I want that. Yeah. But as a prophet, I know God will not do what I want. Totally. Because that denomination in Irish Baptist circles, and here I'm nailing my prophetic colors to the mask, will not 
allow the structure to be radically yeah. altered. And they therefore have now a man-made structure. Mm. And God says, I can't sit in the man-made structure. Totally. And I'm I'm heartbroken. Now, is this going to happen instantly? No, I think Over decline time. is slow. Yeah. Over time. So actually, the, the, the vacation or the exiting, the vacating, sorry, the vacating of the denominal denominational church i don't think it's a disaster we think it is no i think it's god putting people in new wine structures absolutely but was ever thus absolutely T- talk to me yeah. about your upbringing. i mean i, I was raised in um, brethren um which in its early days if we're talking about great things in history was an initial movement to become more free actually of, of, of institutional church the brethren was the denomination a movement and actually in its early days hosted some of the power of god but in the brethren movement and the brethren church uh, denomination you know there are many that still exist today where men and women sit on opposite sides of the the, the church yes. uh, there, there was you know the, the sun your sunday best was suit and tie for men and yeah. you ladies wore skirts and wore hats. hats that's how we turned up to church um, and um, as emma said about her own a great love of scripture i mean literally sunday school for me was let's open the bible and memorize a chapter of scripture there wasn't any you know dancing around or that that's what we did and great for what it was um but we, we, you know, my family left that later on because of how, well, stuff started to happen to me with prophecy and with encounter. Um, and, and actually that church, as much as I loved it, that, that particular group of people, their comment or their rumor that was then spread around the town after we left was that we left church to speak in fork tongue, so in the enemy's tongue, to listen to women, oh <laughs> that's boy. why we left, and to wave flags. But that was the sort of church I was raised in. But at the same time, as much as I love the people, and I, I would love for there to be a, a resurrection of that, you know, of, of the power of God there, it's not going to happen. Why? Because their structure is the same, and it has been the same, and it won't move. And I think you can hear in us perhaps a more reflective nostalgia. Totally. We loved. We loved our upbringing and our experience. Y- yes. And actually very grateful for what it has taught us even of the love of truth and the word of God. Absolutely. Uh, So again, don't hear from us fervent anti-institutionalism. Yes. It's just this prophetic or prophet's office, because we're both prophets, that we carry brings us into this place where we, to honour the voice of God and his call on our lives, have got to say the status quo, he's not happy with it. Mm-hmm. And he's not happy with its rigidity. He's not happy that it won't be malleable to how he wants to now be seen. He's not happy that it's not fivefold, that doesn't have apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers reflected. He, he's not happy in its anti, you know, uh, the release of, of, of multiple generations. Mm-hmm. He's not happy that it doesn't release all peoples because he's no respecter of person. Absolutely. And he's not happy that he can't be seen in how he wants to be seen. I know. And in, I think, some of these traditional structures, we have lost the wildness of God. Totally. And we have lost the goal you know, the goal 
the vision, the finish line is not to have the most brilliant denomination or the most, yeah. you know, amazing church. It's not even to have a church that sees the most miracles. The goal is that we would be perfected, that Jesus gets to marry a pure and a spotless bride. And yes. that has to be our goal. And when that becomes your goal, you stop becoming wrongly precious over what you build. And you yeah. stop becoming territorial over your structures and your institutions. Yes. Because inside, you then are saying all the time, it doesn't matter as long as you get to marry the bride that you deserve, Jesus. We will build until you get the bride that you deserve this radical dependency on christ absolutely it's just so necessary can i say this and this is controversial i actually think that even some movements that are as young as 20 years old are even now old wine i would agree and it's not just that we're looking at movements that are hundreds of years old we are looking at issues of inflexibility yes of the love of their the yeah. weddedness to their structure yeah. the we've arrived the arrogance yeah that yes yeah that we've arrived and god's saying no 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 no. once you have a man-made structure it is in the kingdom of the world mm -hmm. and therefore we have entire churches that are a little bit in the kingdom of God, but majoritively in the kingdom yeah. of darkness and the kingdom of this world. Why? Because the structure is man-made and the thought processes are man-made yeah. and the priorities are man-made. Mm. God of mercy on mm. us. And that, that answers the question, why are so many churches places of more pain than power or purpose, yes. more trauma? Because they're man-made structures and they're places where, yeah. where Satan has a say. And actually, what we're going to talk about in our next episode, and you will not want to miss this, is the difference between what I call the successful church versus the victorious church. Massive difference. Massive difference, where the successful church has its measurements from the kingdoms of this world, yeah. and the victorious church has its measurements from Scripture and yeah. the kingdom of God. And we are seeing now two types of church the victorious church and the successful church yeah. and we know which one we want to be we want to be the victorious church we do not the successful church so you'll not want to miss that as we meet next time so thank you for listening to this what the prophets say hard-hitting truth-telling and actually deeply shaking yeah and we bless you we do to be able to let go mm. of that which is man-made yeah, be open-handed yeah Amen. Thank you for listening to another episode of What the Prophets Say with me, Emma Stark. You clearly ooze stamina. May I gently encourage you to jump over to our website, propheticscots.com, where you can download my e-course, The Prophetic Warrior, nine highly interactive sessions that will equip and train you to hear the voice of God with ease. Make sure that you subscribe and like and share this podcast. You don't want to miss all the things we have coming up for you.